am kicking off our series this month, which is called Resurrecting Hope. And my message today is called His Hope or Ours. And I'm going to start by defining hope. You know me, I like my Webster's Dictionary. And um, hope is defined as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. But an archaic, and this is literally what Webster said, an archaic, which means a very old term or very old definition, is it's a feeling of trust. So when you're hoping for something, you're actually trusting in it. And um, I'm going to start with something that's a little bit of a, a downer. <laughs> um, yesterday, I uh, attended a memorial service for a very dear friend of mine. And um, she was a faithful believer in Christ. She witnessed to everybody. <laughs> um, I heard testimony yesterday um, from several people of how she impacted their lives. She believed in God. She, when she was younger, she was healed of um, ovarian cancer and she attributed that to the Lord. And then um, she actually battled lung cancer and that is what um, she died from. And even in the weeks up to her death, I went to visit her. She was still holding on that hope that God would heal her. And, but more than that, she had hope that God said who he was, I'm sorry, that God was who he said he was. And even though she did not receive her healing, she is healed now. Amen. And um, as we listened, as I listened to people tell and share stories of my friend who was, um, <laughs> she was, uh, she was amazing. She was amazing. I was reminded of the scripture that says Psalm 34, 18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So that is a truth, right? The Bible says it and it's true, but Spurgeon says this, and I love this. He says, broken hearts think God is far away when he is really most near to them. Their eyes are holden. So they see not their best friend. Indeed, he is with them and in them, but they know it not. How true that is when we are discouraged, when we feel hopeless, we don't realize that God is the closest to us. You know, hopelessness is one of the root causes of mental health issues. One of the leading causes of depression and even worse, it is one of the biggest reasons people commit suicide. And hope is what God brings to us. And so when we see all these circumstances, we go, where is hope? And as Bill said, thank you, Bill, for helping me with my sermon today. Lazarus was raised from the dead. That's amazing. But we all know that eventually he did die. Right? Right? And every disciple, even though they saw Jesus raise people from the dead, every disciple died and every one of us will die too. That's not the end of the story, right? Not for us who believe. <clears throat> so I want to tell you that 
all four gospels talk about the triumphal entry, which that's pretty amazing, right? Like when you see it repeated four times, we need to pay attention. And so Palm Sunday actually happened on a Sunday. So this is amazing. And we are, we are going to read only from Luke. I'm not going to read all four. You're welcome. So, <clears throat> so Luke uh, 19 starts this way. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He approached Bethpage and Bethany. The hill there was called the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent out his out two of his disciples. He said to them, go to the village ahead of you. As soon as you get there, you will find a donkey's colt tied up. No one has ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. Someone may ask you, why are you untying it? If so, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found the young donkey. It was there just as Jesus had told them. They were untying the colt when its owners came and the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Apparently that was good. So they left. Then the disciples brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their coats on the young donkey and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their coats along the road. And Jesus came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives. Now, in our Bibles, as Bill said, this passage is called the triumphal entry. Now, or, yeah, the triumphal entry in the Roman uh, period, which is when we Romans were occupying the city, right? They were oppressing Jer the, Jer um, Jer the Jews and their triumphal entry looked very different. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't done. So Luke continues. <laughs> Got ahead of myself. There, the whole crowd began to praise God with joy in loud voices. They praised him for all the miracles they had seen. They shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. May there be peace and glory in the highest heaven. So they did shout praises like we did this morning. So back to my story. So the Romans thought of a triumphal entry a little differently. Their triumphal triumphal entry would be especially like if a general went and conquered something, right? He would come into the city and it had to be a decisive victory. He had to have killed at least 5,000 people. And then when he entered into the city, he was to start the, the parade with the treasure that he captured, then the prisoners that he captured then the units that he um, led, you know, his people, and then he would be sitting on a golden chariot drawn by magnificent horses. Probably why the Romans didn't care that a Galilean peasant showed up riding into the city to shouts on a pony with some coats on top of it. Right? So theirs was a very different view. However, we know, and the Jewish people would know what this meant. We're going to start with a picture of the route. Cause I'm like, wait a second. They came all the way from Bethany to Jerusalem. Well, that's only about two miles. Okay. So that's a little, a little more doable, but sometimes when you're reading along in scripture, you're like, how'd they go from over, you know, it was only two miles. All right. So they're going about two miles. Beth page is where he got the colt. And everybody was required, if you were Jewish, you were required to come to the city for Passover. 
and this was Passover. So they knew Jesus was coming. And so they gathered branches and, um, and to, to praise him. And so this is probably a little more what it looked like. Maybe not. I have no idea, but so I'm going to take this picture and, and just, uh, depict it a little bit. So the donkey in ancient Near East tradition, if a king rode into a city on a horse, it meant he was there for war. If a king rode in on a donkey, it meant he was coming in for peace. And everybody understood that. That was, it, it's not as if, now the Romans didn't understand that, but these people understood this. So this was, it, you know, sometimes people go, well, he was just being humble. No, he was declaring he's king. He's the king of peace riding into the city. Okay. And um, so he's making a statement. Now the cult that was never ridden, that's kind of a, a big deal too, because um, a, a commentator Meyer observed that this is an illustration of how God requires our undivided loyalty. He didn't use a donkey that had already been ridden on. He's not going to just replace the guy before he's setting up a new kingdom. He's setting up his reign and all of those were just shadows and types of what it's supposed to look like. All right. <clears throat> and um, so the people, the people would have been honoring him and what they were doing with their coats. That's significant in that the act of spreading your garment before someone is a recognition of loyalty and promise to support you. So all those people, when they put their coats down on the ground, they were saying, you're my king. I'm, I am going to give you my support. I am supporting you. I, I'm with you. In the palm branches, as Bill already alluded to, palm branches were known everywhere as a sign of victory. Even in the Greeks and Romans, uh, they used palm branches as a sign of victory. Now, God instituted palm branches to be used in the festival of booths. So in, um, in Leviticus, and you can find it in Deuteronomy as well, you will find the festival of booths or the festival of tabernac tabernacles was a festival that the Jewish people were supposed to celebrate. And they would celebrate it by waving palm branches. Okay. And um, it was to rejoice. And isn't it interesting when we give a wave offering we're waving our palms, you know, because these are our palms. And um, 140 years prior to Jesus coming into the city, there was a rededication of the temple. Um, and they used the palm branches to rededicate the temple. And they also instituted coins. And on their coin was a palm tree. And so it was really significant to the Jewish people to use a palm branch. It would be like us taking and waving an American flag when the president comes in or, you know, the symbols that we hold true eagles as freedom, right? They understood that this symbol, this palm branch was a time to celebrate. And it was a time to um, celebrate our victory. All right. <clears throat> and then so they would understand that in Revelation 7, 9, we know that those who overcome persecution will wave palm branches 
and stand in white robes. You know, God cares about Palm Branch. All right, I'm just saying, okay. Good job, Bill. <clears throat> so then they shouted. And all four accounts, they shouted. Um, they, they have it say different, word it differently. But Hosanna means save now. Save now. The people were crying, Jesus, save us now. You're our king. We support you. We are with you. We're going to, we're going to go with you. And, and it, and when they um, said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So at, this is Passover. And during Passover, they would sing um, Psalm 113 through 118. It's called the Halal. And so there's those, those Psalms, they would sing every year at Passover. And one of those Psalms contains the scripture, um, 118, 25 and 26 says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord. We bless you. So they have the songs resonating in them. They see the King coming and they sing it out to him. Right. And, and we know, we know now that this, our savior riding in on a donkey fulfills Zechariah nine, nine. Zechariah said, city of Zion, be full of joy. People of Jerusalem shout, see your King comes to you. He always does what is right. He has the power to save. He is gentle and riding on a donkey. He is sitting on a donkey's colt. So we know now that Jesus actually fulfilled that prophecy but John 12, 6 says, right after he, he talks about this triumphal entry, he says, at first, Jesus' disciples did not understand all this. They realized it only after he received glory, only after he had risen from the dead. And Luke continues and says, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd spoke to Jesus because they knew they knew what these people were pro proclaiming and they say, teacher, tell your disciples to stop. This is heresy, right? They're, they're not liking this at all. And Jesus replies, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, they're speaking truth that cannot be stopped. There is no way to stop the truth that is coming out of their mouths. And yet, a mere five days later, the crowds that were hailing him as king were yelling, crucify him. The crowds are chanting this, and, and I can only wonder, my supposition is, you came you are our king, so get rid of the Romans. You were here five days. You didn't, you didn't organize the troops. You didn't set up a way. You did miracles. You raised somebody from the dead. Can't you just like, I don't know, kill off the Romans or, or something? They, they didn't understand what was happening. They didn't get what they wanted from their king. What about the disciples though? 
the disciples, they're there and the entry they're there within the, with the guard in the garden with him, ready to fight. One of them has a sword, right? And yet they go into hiding and, and they didn't remember the three times that Jesus said to them, what was going to happen? The first time in, in um, all three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell of after Jesus fed the multitudes. Um, and I'm just going to read Matthew 1621. He said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised. And then again, after they were up at the Mount of Transfiguration, when they came together in Galilee, um, Matthew 17, 22 says, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. So they had to have some understanding. It wasn't like it went over his head. You know what I mean? They were sad about it. And then the third time they're heading to Jerusalem and Matthew 20, 17 says, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on the way. He took the 12 aside and he said, we're going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the teachers of law. They will condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And yet Jesus is raised up and he shows up in Luke 24. He shows up. All the disciples are in a room, not knowing what to do. What are we going to do now? We thought we were taking the city, right? I mean, why else would they say, can I be on your right hand and on your left? You know, why, why are they shouting praise and, and pledging homage? Yes, we're going to support you. And now they're cowering. And Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. And they're startled and frightened thinking he's a ghost. So he shows him his hands and his feet and his side. And then Jesus explains it all. What does the end of the story look like? Maybe it doesn't look like what you think it looks like. Maybe it's better. At least it was for, for, for this, the triumphal entry. If it had gone the way the people had wanted, we'd still be waiting. Right? If he hadn't cru been crucified, we'd still be waiting. So hope. The Bible talks about hope. <clears throat> in Proverbs 13, 12, it says, I love this. Kathy Wright said this to me one time. I said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. She said, yes, but there's a second part of the verse. Don't forget a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Right? And Proverbs 17, 22 says a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. You know, as I was preparing for this, I was, <clears throat> researching um, Abraham, you know, Abraham was promised. He had a promise. He was promised that he would have a son through Sarah 
and that that would be that he would be the father of many nations, right? You would have children, descendants, as many as the stars in the sky. And, and then he has Isaac and then God says, yeah, go take Isaac up to the mountain and, and sacrifice him. That would be a really tough test, right? Because it seems like that's a contradiction of the promise. Like you promised me this son and now you want me to kill him? How am I going to have descendants? Right? And, and so it must have been a strange thing to try and carry out. But, at, but God wanted Abraham to learn the difference between trusting in the promise and the promise maker. Who are you trusting in? Do we, do we trust that God promised me something and then we feel it's our responsibility to make sure it happens? Well, Abraham kind of did that to begin with, right? Like before Isaac, Ishmael, let's go. So maybe he learned, you know, okay, well, this first time I screwed it up. So I don't, I don't do that again. So this time he's going to trust him. But still, it would be a contradiction, right? And Spurgeon says this, brethren, there are times with us when we are called to a course of action, which looks as though it would jeopardize our highest hopes. It is neither your business nor mine to fulfill God's promise, nor to do the least to produce the greatest good, to do evil that that good may come is false morality and wicked policy for us is duty for God is the fulfillment of his promise and the perseverance of our usefulness. So we're only supposed to carry out whatever he tells us to do, regardless of what the circumstances look like. You know, I, um, Many of you know that after um, I had a, uh, I was not a Christian. I had a, a daughter and a son and my son died and um, I became a Christian. Audrey Miller's grandmother, she uh, led me to the Lord. And um, I, my hope that was lost was, was found again. But nine years later, I had a daughter who died. And in that moment, I realized that my hopes of my life were my kids, my life, my, instead of putting my hope in God. There's nothing wrong with having, having kids or having, a, you know, being excited about your families or excited about your jobs or excited about any of that stuff. But where does your hope firmly sit? What are you hoping for? Where does your promise lie? And I remember praying that she would be healed before she died. And then I remember after she died, praying she'd be raised again. I believe that. And I still believe those things happen. But I know for, I know with all my knower that even when you get a miracle, you still have to walk out life. And there's still hard things. Jesus said, there's going to be trouble. You're going to have trouble. There's going to be things in this world that are hard. 
Are you getting comfort from the one who wants to comfort you? Are you placing your hope in God alone and not looking at him as a genie in the bottle to grant your wishes? Or is he a vending machine you just go and access when you need stuff? You know? He's more than that. He's a father who wants a relationship with you. And there are promises that you can stand on. There are so many promises. I've limited them to 10 today. So I want to share with you 10 promises. The first one is that God fills us with hope. Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy spirit. Do you feel hopeless? Are you in a place where you're, you've been contending for something and you have no hope left? The Holy spirit can give you hope. All you have to do is ask. You can have hope in the dark times of COVID crazy stuff in politics, we can still have hope. God is faithful and trustworthy. Do you believe that? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he promised for, for he Mm, for he who promised is faithful. It's true. He is faithful. God is faithful. If you feel like he's let you down, you need to think about the scripture and ponder it and, and resonate in it. And what is that? Like meditate on it. Thank you. (laughs) You need to meditate on that. God is faithful. He is kind Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, his kindness for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. If you don't know the kindness of God, he wants you to know that. He wants you to know his compassion and love for you. He made us for a reason for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in in advance for us to do. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. Do you believe that you were put here for a reason? God wants to use you, you know, to be without purpose, it, it's, it feels hopeless. But each one of you has a purpose. God said it. If you don't know what it is, God will reveal it to you. You can come and talk to the pastoral staff and we'll help you figure that out. But you were made for a reason. You are here because you matter. God's presence brings joy. 
You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Does anybody feel more joyful during worship? (laughs) It's because there's joy in his presence. You know, you need to find a way to access his presence. He's always with you. You just don't always realize it. God will help us. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is a promise that we can hold on to. God gives us wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. He doesn't look at you the way the world looks at you. If you've been told you're not very smart, you're not very, you're not worth anything. That's not how God sees you. That is not how God looks at you. He will give generously to you. Not and say, I'll give you wisdom, but you have to do this. It's not how he does it. God has a plan for our lives. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster. For a future and a hope. There is a hope for you. Your life has meaning. God gives abundant life. The thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God wants you to have a full life. He wants you to impact others. He wants you to be impacted by others. God loves us deeply. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You cannot be separated from his love. No matter what you've done, no matter what you do, you will not be separated from him. He loves you so much. You know, when my son died and I learned that Jesus gave up his son, I couldn't fathom willingly sacrificing my son. And yet that's what God did. He did it for you because he wanted you to have hope. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to take a minute to respond here.
Promises of God are very good. And they're for those who who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and King. A lot, a lot of us are reading the a Bible reading plan this year together as a church, you know, and it, it's the Old Testament sections we're reading talk a whole lot about, you know, worship God and Him only. Have no other gods before me, you know, serve Him only. Be careful about the land you're going into that I promised you, which is amazing because they worship other gods there and don't get pulled into that, you know. And, like Kathy said, people threw their support behind Jesus. They laid down their palm branches and their cloaks and things and celebrated him as king, but it didn't last very long. You know, when things didn't go the way they expected, many left him. They, they withdrew their support and left all the good promises behind as a result. You can't have it both ways. So... uh I don't know, maybe some of you have some unmet expectations you're dealing with this morning, some ways you thought that life should go and it's not going that way. Uh, the invitation this morning is to lay that down before the Lord and trust in his goodness. So I just want to make space and time for that. Maybe you need to kneel down where you're at or come to the, the altar and kneel and give up your expectations to the Lord. Maybe you've never made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. It's really easy. <laughs> Come and kneel down and say, Jesus, they're talking about you and it sounds pretty awesome. You sound amazing. I want to give my life to you. I want to serve you as Lord and Savior. And that's how it starts. Just go ahead and respond. I'm just going to be quiet for a minute. Respond to the Lord however you need to, church. Come to him. Here's a good way to pray if you're doing this. Psalm 131 is a really short psalm written by David. He said, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Our expectations are occupying us with things that we don't have to figure out. You don't have to understand everything. You just have to see Jesus, his goodness and his glory and his sacrifice and put hope and trust in him. You can quiet your soul before the Lord right now and lay down those expectations.
those hopes in exactly how it would go and instead put your hope in him. Jesus, we do that now, this morning. We just calm and quiet ourselves before you. The things that have had us worrying, the things that have had us disappointed, the things that have gone not the way we thought they should go, and they're hard, and they just stink. We lose people. People die. You know, people get sick. We, sometimes we lose our job. Sometimes we don't know how we'll make ends meet. Sometimes there are wars. This stuff happens in this fallen world, God, but we instead, we don't put our eyes on that and how it's supposed to work out. We don't try to understand every detail, but Jesus, we see you, the humble king who comes in peace and victory on a donkey, who dies for us on a cross who rises again from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And we put our hope in you. We put our hope in that king. And we say, it's okay that things don't go my way. Because it's all going to go your way in the end. So we choose to bow our knee to you, to your way, to let things unfold as they may and put our hope and trust in you. We trust in your goodness, God. God really likes this. <laughs> if you're praying along with me from a true, genuine heart, God really likes it. And his spirit is close to you. Just be filled with his spirit right now. God, fill your people with your spirit as they put their hope and trust in you. All over this room this morning, fill your people with your spirit. <laughs> we're going to wrap it up this morning. I just want to encourage you that the, the spirit moves in different ways, you know, sometimes joyfully, like we were worshiping this morning. And sometimes it's that calmer, deep peace and strength, you know, that leads you through hard times, that leads you through the mundaneness, the regularness of life that's coming this week. And I believe the spirit filled many of us this morning. It's whatever way he wants, so be it. Let's just pray one last prayer of receiving and, and then you'll be dismissed. Holy Spirit, we do. We just receive you in whatever way you want to move this morning. We receive you to fill our heart, fill our body, fill our mind, fill our 
full being with you. And lead us in your way. Guide us in your truth this week, Spirit of God. We love you. We make space for you. We just look forward to this week of remembering the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior and his resurrection. And would you just move all week long in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.